Before we read scripture this morning, I invite you to adopt a posture of prayer that feels most comfortable to you as we pray. You are so good, God. Open our hearts and minds to you this day. Bring us your spirit of wisdom and understanding as we prepare to hear your word in the light and love you intend for us. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 5 through 12. Listen now for the word of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him and began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, their, for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Baptized and in the pulpit in one service. I mean, that's got to be a record, right? (laughs) As I began to read the Beatitudes, I came to the realization that it is hard for me to transition the Beatitudes from an idealistic Sunday school lesson to qualities of life I can actually use. As I delved into Matthew, I found myself wrestling with the familiar church phrases that seem so distant from my reality. Blessed are the merciful the meek, the righteous. I mean, I'm not a bad person by any stretch, but those aren't the first words I would use to describe myself. The Beatitudes sound great for those who have it all together, but what about me? I mean, Beatitude, I just have a bad attitude. (laughs) But it makes sense. Let them receive their blessing and reap what they sow. It is great for the people who live out these virtues to receive great things for what they have done. People like my Mima. A Mima's character brings tranquility at the family dinner table. She is a peacemaker, gives out of her own need to her community. She is meek, and she loves her God with the purest of hearts. But as I read the Beatitudes over, my perception shifted, especially in the first two Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. You see, for all the other Beatitudes, there is a virtuous action or characteristic and then a subsequent reward. But the first two don't follow this pattern. They aren't achievements or virtues I can strive for, and they are not the shiny, positive ideals we often associate with blessings. Rather, 
They speak to moments of brokenness, of feeling utterly lost, and they honor the pain in the human experience. Mima, in her later years, struggled with dementia. As I was away here in Chapel Hill my sophomore year, her health started declining. Amongst the many health scares, hospital visits, I became accustomed to calls from my mom updating me on her condition. One Thursday, I got a call from my mom. She was telling me about how Mima was stable but not doing so well, and I could feel something. And something told me I needed to go home. So I skipped my next class, got my brother, and headed home. When I made it home that evening, I sat with Mimo, serenaded by the twang of Southern Gospel and surrounded by family. I prayed a prayer, not one of words or even thoughts, but one with a tender kiss and a tight hand squeeze. That night, I held onto Mimo's hand as she took her last breath. With Mima's passing, I felt farther from God than I had at any point in my life. You see, loss brings so many questions, few answers, and a lot of hurt. I was resistant to the idea of God because I was mourning. But I was expected to proclaim the gospel and praise God at a funeral. Thankfully, In our Beatitudes, there is no requirement for the mourning to praise God or for the poor in spirit to seek God. Instead, they are simply but powerfully blessed in the wholeness of their condition. I find that the first two Beatitudes catch many at the point that they feel furthest from God. When someone passes, you question, how can a loving God allow something like that to happen? When you're in the valleys of depression, You can't imagine a loving God letting you go that low. But it is beautiful how Jesus takes these universally experienced pains and declares blessings upon them. I mean, he should know the grace we need. In Lazarus' death, he wept for his lost friend. In the barren desert, he was desperate for water. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out for mercy. In our darkest times, When we're mourning, when tragedy strikes, when God feels distant or even unwelcome, Jesus declares us blessed and loved, comfort for the mourning, and inheritance for those who have lost it all. I mourned Mima's passing, but I found comfort and support from friends and pastors I mourned, but I found comfort in Mima's pecan pie recipe winning the PCM dessert competition the next day. <laughs> I mourned, and that is all I did. I became poor in spirit, and I simply sat in that season. You see, friends, our God is full of grace and provision. There is no requirement or any virtue we have that qualifies us for grace. The same blessings given to the martyrs and the righteous and the meek are extended to us all. The first two Beatitudes set the record straight. God's grace is for us all. It is this grace that baptism prepares a response to. Baptism says, God, I see your grace, the love, your vision, and I am here. 
and I want to be a part of that vision. But God's grace is not dependent on my response or my effort. The grace has always been there. These first two Beatitudes declare that the grace of our God has and always will be there, declaring us all blessed and anointed with the love of God. Church, only when we know that we are all covered by the grace of these first two Beatitudes can we then respond and fulfill the rest. For there is nowhere, no way to start without beginning at God's grace. I say to you, blessed are you and me, for God's grace is inevitable. morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Millie, and I have been an active member of PCM for the past four years, two of which I served on the leadership team. After witnessing the remarkable senior sermons given on past student Sundays, I knew one day I'd jump at the opportunity to give back a small portion of what all PCM and UPC have given me. To tell the truth, even though I was excited to get the opportunity to preach, a lot of worrying was involved while preparing for this sermon. However, this type of worrying is nothing new to me. Growing up, I've always been a worrier. I mean, right, Mom and Dad? (laughs) For me, worrying has always coincided with self-doubt and perfectionism. Now trust me when I tell you that I hate using the word perfectionism to describe myself. Self-describing as a perfectionist may lead others to assume I have it all figured out, when in reality that could not be further from the truth. The word often gets a bad rap because it is most commonly viewed through the lens of productivity and self-reliance. For instance, last semester, I remember anxiously walking into my microbiology lab for the first time. We were randomly assigned a lab partner for the entire semester, so of course, a lot was at stake. Once my lab partner found her seat, she introduced herself and immediately warned me that she was a perfectionist. I thought to myself, great, two perfectionists paired up for the entire semester? Would we spend the entire each week tirelessly striving for perfect lab results? Though my lab partner's unsolicited transparency caught me a bit off guard, this interaction made me rethink how I perceive my own perfectionist tendencies. Yes, within an academic context, which is dominated by competition and achievement, but also within the context of my faith. Gradually, I've discovered that while chasing perfection in academics and a prospective career, I've lost sight of what it means to be a beloved child of God. In my life, there's always been a tension between wanting to get things right and humbly acknowledging that perfection is not always possible or necessary. Certainly, I can acknowledge that I mess up and understand that perfection is out of the question. But why do I still try relentlessly? In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he boldly opens with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
But what exactly does it mean to be poor in spirit? From my understanding, it simply means to be human. To be poor in spirit is not a bad thing. It's an opportunity for growth. It's the humble acknowledgement that being human means messing up. To be poor in spirit means accepting the imperfection in ourselves and others. In doing so, we are reminded of our God-given worth and called to remind others of theirs. Friends, the good news is this. God blesses us because God sees us fully and deems us worthy. There is nothing in this world that will change this. Not bad lab reports, not a slow day at work, not even failing to make it to church each Sunday. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is God's promise to us, and if we look carefully, we might just get a glimpse of it. When I think of what the kingdom of heaven looks like in my life, PCM comes to mind. PCM is a space that radically welcomes those who are poor in spirit. It offers a sacred place to simply be. I can confidently say that I would not be where I am today without having experienced the radical love of PCM. By blessing the poor in spirit, Jesus deems us worthy with no reservation. When we are at our most vulnerable and when we feel unworthy, Jesus unconditionally accepts us. Blessed are you and me, for we are fully known and claimed by God. Good morning. Um, my name is Cameron Mewborn. Um, I'm a senior here at UNC, and I'm also the moderator of PCM's leadership team. I'd like to thank Barrett and Millie. They're two of my most favorite people in the whole world, and they have made Carolina and PCM one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Being a Carolina student is something that I've been looking forward to for a long time. I'll never forget the afternoon of January 25th, 2020, I hadn't even gotten out of my car after coming home from school, and with my dad on the phone, I opened an email that said, congratulations, you've been accepted to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I was thrilled, but this was a part of my plan. What was my plan, you ask? Well, naturally, as a good North Carolina girl, I would go to UNC, get a 4.0, get into medical school, watch the basketball team win a national championship, all without breaking a sweat. Now, I stand before you four years later say, I am proud to announce I've achieved all of those things. Just kidding. As soon as I arrived to campus, classes moved to Zoom. I never saw a classroom, and I rarely saw another human being other than my roommate. And I certainly wasn't allowed into the Smith Center for a basketball game. This was not how it was supposed to go. This was not the plan. And truthfully, I was really disappointed. Disappointment is something that rings true for the people in our scripture today. 
the poor, those who mourn, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. I couldn't help but wonder who these people Jesus was speaking to, calling blessed. I, for one, have never planned to be poor, to mourn, be a peacemaker, or persecuted. Nobody plans to experience such trials. Is Jesus saying that we need to be grieving or persecuted to be closer to God? After four years at UNC, I've decided maybe not. This past March, six months prior to the eruption of war on October 7th, I found myself in Israel-Palestine to learn about the conflict that dominates our minds, hearts, and the news cycle. I've been learning about these great and holy places from the humble pews of Lillington Presbyterian Church my entire life. But when I arrived, I could not seem to find God in this holy land. Only people who were displaced and in great pain. Everything seemed upside down. Following deep experiences in Jerusalem, we drove north to Galilee, where we found the Church of the Beatitudes. There were no ornate stained glass windows, only a large porch with flowers overlooking the lake, designed to give you a taste of what Jesus and his followers saw when they came up to the mountain and sat down. Overlooking the crystal blue sea and the bright green valley, I began to understand how hopeful Jesus' followers must have felt listening to these upside-down blessings. Maybe I, too, am blessed by God. Maybe you are, too. Not when you avoid suffering, but in the midst of it. Maybe the sorrow and the pain that we all experience in life is not a curse or God's absence, but an opportunity for God to love us with God's own hands. Nobody can will the kingdom of God to show up when someone is mourning or poor in spirit or being persecuted. But I do know of a pretty good place to look for the kingdom of God. And it isn't on a mountaintop, or across an ocean, or on the other side of the world. When I am mourning, or poor in spirit, PCM is the best place to be, and I'm pretty sure that these first few rows would agree. PCM takes the Beatitudes from a scripture spoken over 2,000 years ago into blessings that are alive with the Holy Spirit. For example, PCMers are meek. We are first years that come in terrified and shell-shocked from the isolating college experience. But we are blessed, turning into confident individuals empowered by belonging. PCMers are poor in spirit from a bad test grade, blessed by personal tutoring from a PCMer who has taken the class before. PCMers mourn. I mourn my mother every day but I am blessed and comforted by PCMers who understand loss. We find comfort in hugs, jokes, music, and batches of homemade collard greens. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but life is full of unexpected trials that are not in your plan. And yet, PCM practices peacemaking. We stand up for our friends when families get complicated and roommates get crazy. 
PCM hungers and thirsts for righteousness. We advocate for all of God's people out in the world and on our campus across the street. PCM endeavors to be pure in heart. I see the love of God in each and every one of you and the way that you love one another. It has been a joy being the moderator of this amazing student-led ministry that finds a home here to this church's generosity and love. Being a moderator requires a lot of planning, which is something I've told y'all I'm pretty good at. Between leadership meetings, programs, events, and of course, berry wrangling. It's a lot of work, but despite all of the planning that I've put into PCM, it has been an even greater joy walking in Christ-like community in the unexpected sadness and unexpected joy that comes with college life. While sometimes we don't get those grades, we find belonging in God's community. While we haven't seen the basketball team win a national championship yet, we did experience a certain retirement party that was an even greater celebration. <laughs> so as I wait patiently for my reward in heaven, I rejoice and am glad, knowing I can belong, believe, and become with my PCM family until then. So church, PCM, I tell you this. Blessed are the lonely, for we will find belonging only granted by the community of God. Blessed are those who question, for we will find belief in a God that transcends our human understanding. And blessed is this beloved community, for we are becoming more and more Christ-like with every step we take together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.